I want you to think with me for a moment about what is different after Jesus leaves. After his death and resurrection, after his departure from the earth, he ascends uh, into heaven to go sit at the Father's right hand. What changes for the disciples? What's different? Well, obviously, Jesus is no longer physically present, right? That's the most obvious part of that. But what else has changed? How did life change for the disciples? Much of what we read in the Gospels tells us about what life was like when Jesus was here. And that's important. We need those stories because we weren't there. We wouldn't know what happened unless someone wrote it down so we could read it and hear it and study it and listen to it. But there are other parts of the Gospels, like the part we'll look at this morning in John chapter 14, that tell us what Jesus said to his disciples to prepare them for the time when he would not be here anymore, at least not physically. And that time would be different for his disciples. It'd be different than what they had become used to. But for us, it's the only reality we've ever known. So we're kind of used to what Jesus is preparing his disciples for in these verses. That means these verses strike us a bit differently. They don't tell us about a time that is foreign to us, but they tell us about a time that we are quite used to and familiar with. And yet it is precisely because we are familiar with it and used to it that we need these words from Jesus in a different way than the disciples did. They needed to be kind of warned and prepared in advance for what things would be like, what, how things would be different when Jesus had departed. But we need to hear Jesus tell us what he expects this life, this period of time to be like. What should it be like for us as followers of Christ who follow him in his physical absence. He's spiritually present with us, right? He makes that clear wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. But physically he's not here. What should that be like? And how does he expect us to live in this period of time where we uh, are waiting for his physical return? I'm going to read for us from John 14 verses 12 to 14. Now, in the bulletin, it says we were going to do verses 12 to 17 because I thought I could get that far. But then, uh, I was when I was actually writing the sermon, uh, I got to the end of verse 12 and thought, I'm about out of time already. And I uh, tried to squeeze in verse 13 and 14 a little bit, and so we'll have to hold off on 15 through 17 uh, till another time. So I'm just going to read a few verses for us this morning. John 14, verses 12 to 14. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, those are two very striking and significant statements from Jesus. And statements that are, in some ways, hard for us to get 
our minds around because uh, they are so expansive. The promises are so great, so large. And so we need to make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is not saying. Remember, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He's telling them what it's going to be like after he is gone. He just had the conversation where Jesus said, I'm leaving and you can't come with me yet. But you know how I'm, where I'm going and you know how to get there, right? And Philip said, no, <laughs> actually, actually we don't. We're really confused on that point. If you could clarify that for us, that would be great. Right? So Jesus says, I am the way and I'm going to the Father. And the only way to get to the Father is through me. Right? And so he's explained, he's returning to the Father. And one day he's going to come back and take us into the Father's presence, all who believe in him. That's why he's leaving, and he is the way that we get there, by faith in him. But what do we do in the meantime? What do we do while we're waiting? And what does Jesus expect to happen in this period of time? What does he expect it to be like? Is it going to be radically different than when Jesus was here? Or is it going to be, in many ways, the same as when Jesus was here, just obviously with him no longer physically present. Well, the first thing he tells him in verse 12 is that the kind of work that he has been doing, that work is going to continue. So it's not as though when Jesus departs, all the good things that Jesus was doing are now going to come to an end because he's not here. No, he says... Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So this is a statement, a promise, that applies not just to the apostles, not just to the disciples, but he says to whoever believes in me. So this is a a statement about what Christians in general will do. It's not limited to the apostles, but it applies to everyone. Who believes in Christ. Everyone who trusts in Christ. Whoever believes in me, he says, will also do the works that I do. Now what does that mean? What can that mean? Because Jesus did some pretty amazing works, right? He healed people who were lame or paralyzed. Uh, He restored speech to the mute and hearing to the deaf and sight to the blind. He even raised the dead? Is Jesus saying that we are going to do those same kinds of things? Well, before we answer that part of the question, I think we need to step back and and notice the sort of the main point of what Jesus is saying here. I think one of the main things Jesus is saying is that imitation is a key part of discipleship. If you follow Jesus, that doesn't just mean, you know, I say I'm a Christian, I put a sticker on my car, I go to church, whatever. It means I seek to do as He did, to live as He lived, to embody His teaching in my own life. He said, love your enemies, I seek to love my enemies. He said, to be forgiving, he says to bless those who persecute you. He says to you know care for the poor and the, the needy and love your neighbor. I, I try to do those things. 
Jesus had compassion on people that nobody else wanted to deal with. We, we try to imitate his example in that. Uh, part the, the foundation, I think, of what Jesus is saying is, look, if you're following me, if you believe in me, you're going to do the kinds of things that I was doing. That's what it means for you to be my disciple. That what it, that's what it means for you to be one of my followers. You're going to imitate me. The second thing I think that Jesus is uh, telling us through this statement, even before we get to the, you know, the specific questions of like, what kinds of things are we going to do? The, the first thing is imitation is key to discipleship. The second thing I think Jesus is making clear to us here is that his work will continue even after he's gone. He's telling his disciples, look, when I leave, There's not going to be sort of a a radical departure where now the things that I was doing in the world all of a sudden come to an end. Instead, even after I'm gone, those of you who believe me, those of you who follow me, you're going to keep doing the things that I started doing. My work is going to continue. So, uh, Jesus equipped and prepared his disciples for this, right? Uh, For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives his disciples authority to cast out demons, and he sends them out into the villages and the, the cities and the towns of Israel to multiply his ministry, right? It's in Matthew chapter 10. He doesn't say, look, I'm the only one who can cast out demons. You watch me, see how I do it, but when I'm gone, that's going to be over. Even while he's here, he gives his disciples authority to do that. He gives them instructions about how to go about their itinerant ministry, where to stay, and what to do if people reject you, and what to do when people receive you, and, and how to travel, and all those kinds of things. He prepares them for that, sends them out to do that, even while he's here. And then tells them, when I'm gone, don't stop. Don't stop doing what I'm doing. Don't just look back on the time when I was here and think, wow, man, wasn't that great. Remember the things I modeled for you, equipped you to do, taught you to do, and you keep doing that after I'm gone. That's what I expect you to do. That's what I want you to do. We see that quite clearly in the book of Acts. Luke, I think, is at pains in the book of Acts to show us that the kinds of things that Jesus did while he was here, the church continued to do after he was gone. Miraculous things, like healing someone who's lame in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 5, it says, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. So they were doing the same kinds of things that Jesus was doing. We're even told in Acts 19 that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. You might say, okay, well, that's, those are apostles, though. We know apostles do special signs. Well, what about Philip? In Acts chapter 8, we're told about Philip who was mentioned in Acts chapter 6 among the 
what I take to be the first group of deacons, the men who were set apart to minister to some of the widows who had, were being neglected in the church. Uh, they weren't uh, receiving the daily distribution of food, so they appointed uh, new ministers, new deacons to care for them. And Philip was among those men. And then in Acts chapter 8, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So in the book of Acts, Luke is very clear that the kinds of things that Jesus did, even the miraculous things that Jesus did, those things were still being done by his followers. Not only the apostles, but also by Philip, who was not an apostle. God was doing miraculous things through them, at work among them. So then, naturally, we have to ask the question, if Jesus says, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, does that mean that every Christian will do everything that Jesus did? The Bible is really clear on that, too. The answer is no. No. And here's why we know the answer is no. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is addressing a church that has overemphasized spiritual gifts. They're practicing spiritual gifts, which is good, but they've got some of their understanding of spiritual gifts all out of proportion. And so Paul has to correct some misunderstandings and, um, and, and things such as that. And at the end of chapter 12, here's what he tells them. He says, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So each one of you is part of a body. Each one of you is important. And yet he says, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So he's given all kinds of gifts to the church. And then he says, are all apostles? Being an apostle is a gift. Does everybody get that gift? Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets, he asks? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Again, the answer is no. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, Paul doesn't answer the questions, but the answer is implied, right? The no is implied as the answer to every single one of those questions. Not all do miracles. Not all speak in tongues. Not all are apostles. Not all are prophets. Not all are teachers. So, not every Christian is going to do everything that Jesus did. Because Jesus healed. Jesus even raised the dead. But not every Christian is going to do everything that Jesus did. But I'm also not prepared to say that no Christian works miracles or is able to heal. Now, there are some who argue that there was, at some point, sort of a cutoff Right, where some of the spiritual gifts, uh, particularly miracles, speaking in tongues, prophecy, things like that, that some of those spiritual gifts cease to operate after a particular point in time. You can make that case, and people have, and uh, if that's the position you hold, I'm probably not going to argue with you about it, 
Uh, but I'm not convinced of that. I just don't see anywhere in Scripture where it says plainly uh, that those kinds of things are going to stop happening. Maybe they have, but I can't say that with uh, confidence and a clear conscience. Uh, In some ways, it would be easier to say that, right? Because the other side of that is we know there are a lot of charlatans and frauds out there who appear to do various kinds of miraculous things who are really not doing ministry. They're really just uh, making money, right? And so it would be easier to say, well, it's all fake, but... I'm not convinced that it is. I'm generally skeptical because there is a lot of fraud out there, but I can't in good conscience rule it out as impossible. So when Jesus says, you're going to do the works that I did, whoever believes in me is also going to do the same kinds of things, I take that to mean, first of all, that Jesus' work is going to continue Because we're going to be imitating him. We're going to seek to do the same kinds of things as him. But I don't take that to mean that every Christian is going to do everything that Jesus did. Because not every Christian is is gifted to do some of the things that Jesus did. Whether you're talking about teaching. Jesus taught. That was a significant part of his work. Not every Christian is called to teach. Not every Christian is gifted to teach. Not every Christian is uh, gifted to do miracles. But... Clearly, the apostles, and even outside of the apostles, uh, if you include the example of Philip, were equipped to do that. Paul even raised somebody from the dead in the book of Acts. Remember that poor guy that fell asleep during Paul's sermon, fell out the window, was taken up dead? Paul restored him to life, or God did through Paul. So um, what Jesus means mainly, I think, is not that we're all going to do miracles. He he doesn't mean that, because that's not going to happen. What he does mean, mainly, is that he's still at work today through those who belong to him and follow him, through the church as a whole. He's at work in you and me. He's in work in us as a church, and he has been at work through his church for 2,000 years. One of my favorite works of church history is a a series of books called 2,000 Years of Christ's Power. That title indicates Christ has been powerfully at work for 2,000 years through the church. So I'm going to tell you how he's done that, what he's been up to, what he's been doing in the church. That's part of what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. Even though I'm going to be in heaven in the Father's presence, I'm still going to be at work through you as you do the kinds of things that I did. But the most difficult, in some ways, part of this verse is the last part. Not only does he say, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. He then says, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. What does that mean? That's one of those statements where if Jesus hadn't said it, I think you and I would be scared to say it. Right? If Jesus hadn't said that and somebody said, you know, I think we do greater works than Jesus did. He said, you think what? You watch your tongue. What do you mean do greater things than Jesus did? What is he talking? But Jesus said it. 
So we know it's true. What does he mean by it? Well, there are a few things he could mean. One of them I'm sure he doesn't mean. Two of them I think he could mean, and possibly he means both of them. Here's the one I think he doesn't mean. I think this is pretty clear. I don't think he means we're going to do things that are greater in quality or greater in kind, so to speak. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus raised Lazarus from the, to- from the dead after he'd been in the tomb for four days. Is there a work you can do that is greater than raising somebody from the dead? I can't think of anything. I don't think Jesus means, hey, I did some great miracles, but I kind of held back and I left some for you guys that are even more dramatic and impressive that I haven't done. And you're going to do things that are just qualitatively greater than anything I ever did. I, I don't think that's what he means. I don't think that's what he means. So what does he mean? I think he might mean, and probably does mean, that we will do things greater in quantity. In other words, we'll do more things than Jesus did. Right? So not the thing itself is not greater. Right? You can't beat Jesus raising somebody from the dead. But what we do will be greater in the sense that we will do more of it. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus' ministry of miracles and healing and teaching was limited to a period of three years. And he did some amazing and dramatic things. And John even says at the end of his gospel, in chapter 21, verse 25, he says, there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So even in those three years, Jesus did an incredible number of things, not all of which were even written down in the Bible, many of which were not. You think your Bible's thick now, John says. You should see what it would look like if we wrote down everything Jesus did. And yet... There was a finite period of time that he was ministering those three years. What do we make of the fact that Jesus has been at work through the church now for 2,000 years? If he's doing the same kinds of things through us that he did himself when he was here... Hasn't he done more over the last 2,000 years than he did in those three years? I think that's part of what he means when he says, greater things will you do, because you will keep doing them for centuries, for millennia. And I think that fits that interpretation, that understanding of what he's saying. Greater works, meaning more works, I think that fits with what he says Right after that, when he says, because, you'll do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. The reason you will do greater, which I'm taking here to mean more works, is because I'm leaving. My period of doing works here on the earth is coming to an end, but yours is not. In a sense, yours is just getting started, and so you're going to do more, you're going to do Greater because I'm leaving, but you are still going to be here. And I'm not talking just about you, disciples, you first generation believers. I'm talking about whoever believes in me. And that's going to go on for, we know, at least 2,000 years. 
The second thing I think he could mean, and probably does mean, it goes right along with greater in quantity, more things. I think he also means that their reach will be greater. Think about this as well. Not only was Jesus limited to a period of three years of his active ministry in Israel, his ministry was also largely limited to Israel. And I don't know if you've uh, you know, ever looked on a map at the Middle East and like looked at Israel. Israel is very, very small. There are not a lot of people there in comparison to the whole rest of the world. Jesus was in a tiny, tiny part of the Roman Empire. And they didn't even know about North America, right? South America back then. There's a lot more space in the world, a lot more people in the world. And now, after Je- so Jesus, you know, he's mainly in Israel, a little outside of Israel in sort of some borderland Gentile areas, but mainly his ministry is confined to Israel. But when he leaves, he tells his disciples, you go and make disciples of all nations. You go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel. And so over the last 2,000 years, Christians have traveled over the whole world taking the gospel to tell more and more people about Jesus. And of course, Jesus is the one working through us to do all this. So it's not like we're doing it and Jesus is not. He's empowering us. He's at work in us. He told us when he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. He said, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. So he's doing it with us, right? But our reach, as he works through us, sending us out into the world, is far greater than his reach was when he was physically here on the earth. I think both of those things, that our reach is greater and the number of things we do is greater, and I suspect Jesus meant both of those things. And what is clear to me about all that because I, I, there's still questions you can ask about that what, what about this what about that I don't have all the answers to everything that this verse means but what is clear to me and what I think ought to be clear to us as the, the baseline meaning of this verse is this we are not and Jesus' disciples were not to be depressed by the departure of Jesus as though the golden age of God's work in the world is past. It's not. I think the main thing Jesus is saying is, hey guys, I'm going to leave, but that doesn't mean I'm done. I'm going to leave, but that doesn't mean you're headed for a drop-off cliff and things are never going to be like this ever again. I am still going to be at work. And I'm going to be at work through you. And so far from there being a drop-off after I leave, you're going to do greater things after I'm gone. Now, I don't think the disciples could wrap their head around that when he said it. It's still hard for us to wrap our head around what he mean when, meant when he said that. But I, I think what he means is you're going to keep going. For years and years and years. And you're going to go farther. Farther and farther and farther out into the world. Telling more and more people. Ministering to more and more people. Don't be so downhearted. Remember that's what he said at the beginning of chapter 14. 
Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Don't be depressed that I'm leaving. Later he's going to tell them, look, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to send the Spirit. He tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, don't leave Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Don't be depressed. I'm still at work and it's going to be great. That's the main thing that he's saying. Now, quickly, what does he say in verse 13 and 14? How are we going to do this? How are we going to continue to do the things that Jesus did when he's gone? How are we going to do greater things than he did if he's not even here? How is that going to work? Well, that's where prayer comes in. So he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. What does it mean to ask for something in Jesus' name? It's more than just, you know, tacking on his name to our prayers like it's some kind of, you know, special formula that we have to say. That, that's not what he means. In the Bible, God's name represents his character, who he is, what he is about. And so to say that you're asking for something in Jesus' name is not sort of like a, you know, a, a, a secret password that if you say that, then God has to do what you say. And what it means is what you are asking for, you believe is consistent with who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. I'm asking for this in Jesus' name because I think Jesus is for it. I'm asking this in Jesus' name because I think this is the kind of thing that Jesus wants to do and wants to see done. I'm asking it in Jesus' name because I don't have any authority to ask it in my own name, but I think, I think Jesus would get behind this. That's the kind of thing that we mean and what Jesus means when he talks about asking for things in his name. And he promises his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. So there again, he's indicating, I'm leaving, but that doesn't mean I'm quitting. I'm leaving, but I'm still going to be at work. I will hear your prayers and I will respond. I will act. He's not abandoning his disciples or us. He's not leaving them or us to our own devices. He will be responsive to the needs of his people. He is even still. Perhaps that's part of how we do those greater works. In fact, I expect that's exactly what he means. Now, for us to pray for something in Jesus' name, that we believe Jesus would get behind, and something we believe that will glorify God, because that's what Jesus also says here, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified. So what you ask for also has to be something that can be done to the glory of God. There are things that we believe are in accord with who Jesus is, and that will glorify God, and yet when we pray them and ask for them, we don't always get them. What do we do with that? Because Jesus says, whatever, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Say, well, I've been praying for someone who's lost to be saved or someone who's sick to be healed. I know Jesus is for healing people. He's for saving people. 
God is glorified when someone is healed. God is glorified when someone is saved. So doesn't this verse mean that if I ask for those things, God will give it to me? Most of us know from experience that the answer is no, not necessarily. He might, but he also might not. What are we to make of that? I don't think Jesus means whatever you ask at any particular time, I will always do. Because even in the ministry of Paul, we see Paul has a thorn in his flesh. He asks God three times, please take it away. God says no. His partner in ministry, Timothy, has a stomach ailment, giving him trouble. Assume Paul could have asked God to heal him and God could have done it. But instead, Paul says, hey, you need to take some wine medicinally to help your stomach ailments. God didn't heal Timothy miraculously. So God, I don't think Jesus means anything you ask at any particular time, I will always do if it fits with who I am and can glorify God. I think he means any kind of thing you ask, I will do. In other words, you can ask for me to raise the dead. You can ask for me to heal the sick. You can ask for me to save the lost. There's nothing that I won't do. I might not do it this time. I might not do it on your time. I might not do it the way you wanted me to do it. But there's no kind of thing that you'd say, well, we can't ask Jesus for that. I mean, maybe when he was here we could get that, but now he's gone. We can't ask him for that now. I think, what he, I think what he's saying to the disciples is, don't worry about what you're asking for. If you can ask for it in my name and I can do it to the glory of the Father, feel free to ask. I'll do any kind of thing that you ask that meets that criteria. But that it's, not, it's not as though Jesus has written a blank check and signed his name so that we can ask for absolutely anything we want and hold up this promise and say, see, you have to do it. That's not what he meant. What he meant is, even though he's not physically with us, he's still for us, he's still at work, and he can still do for us all the kinds of things he did when he was here. So don't hesitate to ask. So life when Jesus was here physically on earth, and life now that Jesus has returned to the Father and is seated in heaven, is in some ways quite different. But in other ways, it is essentially the same. Jesus is not with us physically, but he is still at work through his people, doing even greater works than when he was here. And he's listening to our prayers in his name and responding to our requests as we not only ask, but seek his help to act in his name for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, not left us to our own strength. Um, You've not abandoned us, but you are near to us. You've even sent your spirit to dwell within us. And that you are at work. 
We pray, God, that you help us see the ways that you're at work, sometimes in miraculous, surprising ways, but often in ordinary but wonderful ways. Through acts of love and service, through demonstrations of humility, sacrifice, through everyday teaching and encouragement, fellowship. God, help us see your hand at work in us and among us. Help us be encouraged by your presence with us. Help us be imitators of you, following your example, doing the kinds of things that you do as your beloved children. We pray you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Barbara's going to